Welcome to the Weekly Workplace, where professionals come to find insights and inspiration for success. Hosted by the Missouri Training Institute, this is the Weekly Workplace. Welcome to the Weekly Workplace, where professionals come to find insights and inspiration for success. With you again today. Hello. Yeah, good morning. Dewey Thompson, Ray Lyon, and me, Brianna Larimer, for part three of the training prep talk. Now, I think it's interesting because we're on our third episode, y'all, and um, I still feel like we have only like presented on a little minuscule piece of it, even though it's like three 30 minute episodes. Like it's a lot of stuff. Like we could talk about this for days and days and days. Mm-hmm. We could. There's a, there's a lot to consider here. Oh, my goodness. It, it, it uh, for there will be four parts, so we will have another one next week. But, um, man, there's just so much more. So if there's questions or comments that you all have, please send those in to us. We also like to know what what are you experiencing or what are you thinking about what's surfacing for you as you're listening to these episodes? Um, do you have additional questions that we can answer for you? MTI at Missouri.edu. Today's episode, all about design and body language and um, paraverbals and all of that fun stuff. Fun, fun, fun. (laughs) Well, and, you know, it's interesting. We said this on the last couple episodes, but we know that public speaking is the number one uh, fear of of most people or of people. Uh, And so we'll talk about that, too, in the sense of how that speaker anxiety kind of uh, correlates in all of these spaces. But because we left off last week talking about the design piece, we said there's a lot of different ways, a lot of things to think about as you start putting the actual curriculum and content together. We're going to give you some of those tips. But as we were all talking about here at the table before we hit record on this, a lot of these tips could probably have a reason to be broken at any given time. So these are more just suggestions. I think, you know, there's a list of best practices. Sure. But, you know, over the decades that we've been in this, there's organizational reasons Mm -hmm. why we may or may not be following this best practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just keeping in mind that, like you said, you know, it's just they're out there Mm -hmm. mindful of them, but being intentional in knowing why you may or may not be following that. I think that goes back to the reading your audience piece, the audience analysis piece, too, because I do find myself and obviously my background not being in curriculum design, but I do find myself thinking a lot about the audience I'm preparing to present to and what is it that they might need. So there's organizations I go into that's like, okay, I'm going to put more text on the screen than I normally would. There's some I won't put any text on the screen, you know, and it might just be a picture for an emotional appeal. So uh, to me, that's a a piece that helps me kind of gauge what direction the design is going to go to. Yeah. And I think it's also important before we go on that what we're talking about here are some visual things. Yes. Yes. Slides that people see or things on a piece of paper, perhaps, or not the instructional design. not, Not the instructional design not, you know, the games that we might play or the activities we design to lead people to uh, understand a new skill. Um, This is just really what we're going to talk about here is just more visual Mm -hmm. types of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because this could apply not just to trainers, but also to presenters. Right. Right. And so uh, what's interesting is I know research suggests that um, when we think about our audience, they're going to recall about 20 percent of what they hear, uh, 50 percent about what they hear and see. 
and 90% of what they hear, see, and interact with. And so that, to your point, right, we're mentioning just the visual piece of design here, but there are reasons to really go in later. And again, not enough time to go through all of that, but to consider what kind of application activities are you doing? What's the involvement? Um, what are you giving them to interact with to really allow those concepts to resonate with your, your audience? Um, but let me ask this. As you think back to your design skills, uh, when you first started creating your PowerPoints and where you are today, what suggestions would you give based off of your own experience in actually visually designing PowerPoints? Well, I've been doing this for a long I know. time and I have really seen an evolution, I guess I would say, of PowerPoint. Um, but when you look at the real old stuff, you know, there wasn't a lot of real images that people were using. Instead, they were using cartoons, um, uh, cartoon characters mm -hmm. and, you know, things like that. So I'd say ditch that stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, your images should probably try to match your audience you know, in some way. So, um, you know, if I'm speaking to a particular manufacturing group, then I look for images that might help, you know, communicate that to them. Um, if I'm working for a, a different type of group, then, you know, I might look for images that, uh, that would fit that particular audience. I want, I want them to see themselves uh, right. in the, in the visuals. Yeah. I think probably the biggest, I had never done I didn't teach by PowerPoint when I was a school teacher. So I had never done PowerPoint until I came here. Um, so everything was brand new, but, and which was fun because PowerPoint did a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I think my biggest learning um, over the years is you don't need it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't need all the animation Definitely, you don't need sound effects. You know, none of that stuff. Yeah. I, I, breaking I, glass. Yeah, the breaking glass or the sliding to a yeah. screeching stop. Yeah. Um, you don't need any of that. In fact, it distracts. It takes away from you and the point of your message. Um, the simpler, the better. And I, I think just in general, mm -hmm. you know, less words, you know, just the simpler, the better. And I I don't use a lot of animation. I get rid of it. I don't use animation unless again there's we're breaking that rule. You know, maybe I will have something appear separately, but it's a it's after I've maybe asked right. a, the audience a question, right? right? And then it, then comes the answer on the slide. Yeah, so that's what you know things like that. But um, you're right. I you know I've I've been in those presentations before, and I'm not paying attention to what the speaker's saying. I'm just paying attention. Where's it going to fly in this next time? Is it going to go left? Is it going to checkerboard down? Is it going to yeah. You know, oh, whatever. it's swiveling. It's wait, swiveling. wait, wait, wait. Yeah, you know, or you're all you're like, what's next? What's next? You know? Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, well and I think it's interesting to 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 hear you all say that because, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things that aren't PowerPoint anymore that have been kind of developed over time that now people are using for presentations. Prezi was really big when I was in school <sighs> and yeah. Prezi seemed so cool at the time uh, as oh, I was designing yeah. things. And I was like, oh, this is so neat. But then actually sitting back as a uh, student or a learner watching a Prezi design, I went, oh, boy, I'm motion sick. I'm getting motion sick right now. <laughs> What's happening? Um, and so. They seem great at the at the time, but the one I think big takeaway with your actual presentation itself, in whatever format you use, whether it's PowerPoint or Canva or Prezi or what, it is it is supposed to support 
your actual delivery of content. It's not meant to supplement that. Like you it's not meant to replace it. Replace it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It's not meant to replace it. And so as you're thinking through that, and I'm I say this because I'm talking to myself here. <laughs> I I can spend so much time designing a PowerPoint mm-hmm. that at the end of it, I'll sit and say, oh, it looks pretty, but the content isn't anywhere where I needed it to be to be helpful when I actually walk into the room. And I think that that's that's difficult sometimes. And I think just recognizing, again, these are all supposed to be just um, nice additions, just like handouts, essentially, to be able to provide or enhance the learning experience for your audience. Just more of a supplemental type yeah. of uh, learning technology. Yeah. Right. Right. It right. replace anything. Yeah. Right. Right. So know your stuff still. Don't rely on that. Because I think that's where some of these these mistakes come in. And I remember early when I started here, I was putting a lot more text on the screen because I couldn't remember some of the content. And I, I was still, you know, learning how to implement some of those concepts myself. And so it it was easier just to have it on the screen, you know. So things like that, you know, stock templates, for example, they might look beautiful with all of these great colors and great, you know, but what is it adding to the actual delivery or experience, because I mean, I like that word a lot, experience of your audience, because it is a whole experience. They're going to remember pieces of all of it. And some they're going to remember more than others, depending on what (laughs) you do with that PowerPoint presentation. And and again, you know, is is your point? Are you there for six hours to teach a new skill or new ability versus I'm giving a 20 minute keynote? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, Prezi to me is perfect for that. You mm-hmm. know, you've got one main thread of thought, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so the dynamics mm-hmm. as those points are introduced. Um, but yeah, you're right. Somebody can't sit in front of a screen for well, six hours of the way too long mm-hmm. right? um, for anything. You know, yeah. But getting the point that there's a big difference between just presenting something for a blip and having people be in for the long haul to actually walk away with a new skill. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, what's interesting earlier, I heard, I think Dewey, you had mentioned, you're talking about the, or both of you had mentioned the the bullet or the animations on things. And there's actually, I, I do want to add this caveat because there is research out there that talks about when you're in a virtual environment now, because we know that a lot of our trainings are actually in virtual environments. And going back to those, those percentages I gave at the beginning of this episode, um, like an animation release, in a virtual environment is actually a uh, preferred method because when you're releasing one bullet point at a time on the screen in a virtual environment, it's drawing the attention back to the screen where otherwise maybe somebody was off doing, you know, multitasking. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there are concepts we're going to talk about. And I think we're primarily talking about face-to-face or in-person sessions, but go out there and think about, again, what's your delivery platform? Is it going to be virtual or hybrid or, and, how can you, again, think about your audience and what you're trying to achieve and then work some of these pieces in as they fit? But what are some other tips as you think about design, visual design of your presentation? Uh, one I would say is about contrast. Mm, right? So, yeah. you know, big, big room, keynote, got 500 people in there and you're using a, a PowerPoint or something. I would go with probably a dark, dark background on the slide with light colored text. If I'm in a smaller room, I might kind of reverse that. I might have a, a lighter background with darker color text. Um, it's just easier to see, you know, depending on what 
kind of environment you're at. But make sure that there's contrast between mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. colors, right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't want them too close um, if people can't um, make out what's going on. And here's the hard thing, back to audience analysis. And of course, in a room of 500, you're just kind of driving that bus down the middle. Um, but people that suffer from uh, inabilities to distinguish between colors, mm-hmm. you know, so if you use a blue font, it looks like nothing. Mm. It's just a blank hole um, for people who have that type of discrimination in color. Um, so being mindful of that and again, kind of goes back to simplicity, you know, uh, can you use the black font on a white background? And I've gotten into a room before and realized my lighting is so bad. I've had to change my PowerPoint slide design like in 10 minutes because Mm -hmm. they were never going to be able to distinguish, Mm -hmm. um, just because the, it was too bright in the room. There was no way to shut the lights, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the ambient light off. So just being kind of mindful of that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about the visuals, we, we touched on earlier. Um, I, I mentioned, you know, I might use just a picture or something. I think visuals are important. I've been in, I don't know about you all, but I've been in training sessions before where like the whole PowerPoint slide is nothing but a bunch of pictures. Um, it's too much. I think pictures should be used to really create some type of, of visual appeal, emotional appeal, um, to bring somebody into something, to emphasize a point maybe that you already said. So I go back to like our EQ session, right? When I think about that great iceberg graphic that you gave, you know, and the metaphor of EQ and icebergs. And that's emphasizing a point that I'm already verbalizing. It's not distracting from what it is I'm actually saying. Right. It's supporting it, right? Yes. Fonts. Can we just talk about fonts for a minute? Because we laugh about this all the time. Oh, my God. Do we have to talk about fonts again? (laughs) There are so many. There 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 are. are. There are. Um, And, you know, it might look pretty to have a French script, uh, (laughs) you know, all over your all over your slides. But stop it. Just stop it. (laughs) Yeah. Simple, simple, simple. You know, I think is is the key here, Um, uh, you know, and be consistent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We switched a couple of years ago. We did Calibri. Um, now we use Century Gothic, which I actually like because my eyesight is not mm. what it used to be. And so they're a little bit rounder, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a little bit more full, even all the letters that aren't, you know, round naturally. Um, so it actually helps me uh, yeah. read from afar. Yeah. I like it much better, too. And I think the distinguishing piece there, um, and I I just have to use it for pure contrast. But uh, if you ever look at our logo, for example, which obviously falling under the University of Missouri, um, that's actually in a serif font. So it's got the little tails or tags on each of the ends of the letters. And that's kind of an older font style. Where a more modern approach now, and it's a lot cleaner, uh, would be something like Century Gothic. And that's actually called a sans serif font. And so it removes all the little tails off of every letter and it just makes it look a little bit, a little bit cleaner. Um, and so that, that is, we prefer that here, but again, I mean, what you yeah you could be dictated by the the copyright exactly licensing and the, which is where our case yep and yep so that's yep. why our logo is in times new roman mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but uh um, yeah we do our content um in mm-hmm. century gothic right right 
Uh, and so I, I always like, and I, I think you have heard you already say this, but that whole like, you know, keep it simple, silly. I'm going to say silly because stupid sounds mean. <laughs> so keep it simple, silly. Uh, uh, but really considering now, what, how can I really make this again is just an added bonus to the content I'm already bringing here. Now, there are a million other suggestions out there. You can look online um, and there's a lot of different best practices you'll find. There's also a lot of different new platforms. Yeah. You know, one of the things I, I love Canva, I started doing some presentations presentations in Canva. And what's cool about that is you can add in some um, some fun effects. So, you know, oh, you guys just, you know, won the Jeopardy competition for one of our application activities. So now I can have confetti fall. You know, that's an added fun bonus for engagement um, or a drum roll when you're online and you're getting ready to release specific topics and you want to bring their attention back to the screen. So, I mean, there are effects that can be used depending on your situation. Um, but thinking through what's going to work for your audience, what works for you as a trainer. Beyond the design piece, let's talk a little bit about this concept I mentioned earlier of speaker anxiety, because I'm telling you that your PowerPoint is supposed to be what, not what you rely on, but what helps add to your actual presentation. What we do know is that, again, speaking in public is the number one fear in people. So there's a lot of different kinds of speaker anxiety that can prevent you from showing up the way you need to show up as a presenter in a room. You guys want to talk about that? Sure. Have you ever experienced it? Let me ask that. Oh, I, oh. I, I experience <laughs> it every time. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I'm, you know, I still get nervous. Yeah. I still have a lot of anxiety before I get uh, in front of a group of people. And I've been doing this for over 25 years. So it is, um, you know, and here's the thing. I don't want to get rid of those butterflies in your stomach. That mm, is the mm -hmm. good stuff. You know, that's the, and that's where the energy is at. You just want those butterflies to fly in formation. That's the key, right? I like that. Yeah, you don't want to get rid of it. You just want to direct them um, and let, get them to fly in formation. Yeah. So you, because you remember, your audience is going to need that energy, um, but you got to direct it appropriately, right? So there's, but I still get anxiety. I still get lots of anxiety every time I do it. So sometimes I do that because I know who I'm going to talk to. So I remember Ray and I had to go do some facilitation for all the top brass here at the university, you know, and so we had all the deans and all mm. the presidents and all this kind of stuff. And the day before, um, and before we agreed to do this, I had already had <laughs> tickets to the Kansas City Chiefs game <laughs> that night, uh, the night before. So, you know, I made sure that I didn't yell because every year you come back, you can't and talk I can't talk day. because I'm yelling so much at the game. And so I knew that I had this gig the next day, but um, it was the audience. They, they, they kind of intimidated me a little bit. And so um, I remember specifically Ray came over kind of at a break and says, they're just people, Dewey. Just get over yourself, you know, because you're repeating words over and over and over again. Um, and she was right. You know, I was I was letting them get the best of me. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to kind of get that under control. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, that's what we call an audience based anxiety, Oh yeah. you know, because of who's in the audience, mm -hmm. you know, so whether you think, oh, they're going to know more than me or, you know, you're already, you know, so anxious about the audience. Um, I remember the very first time I was doing a large conference and Alan, our former director, was going to show up. Mm hmm. You know, and I'm fine until the minute he strolls through those doors and then all of a sudden it's just like, gah, 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 yeah. you know, yeah. um, just because of who was in the audience. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I think one of mine and, and a big one is situational anxiety. And my example is, um, again, I was invited to speak at a conference and I was the opening keynote, um, like the, the second morning or something. And so I go down the night before and I decide to walk over and find my conference room and all this stuff. And I'm, it's locked, but I'm peeking in through the door and it's like, set up for hundreds and hundreds of people and it's got four jumbo trunks. Oh my goodness. And I'm just like, what? You know, and and the stage, it wasn't just like a one step. I mean, it was like six steps to get to the stage. And I, you know, brought a dress to wear, but it didn't have pockets. I was going to be miked. I didn't know it. So now I've got to hold my mic because I have nowhere to clip it on my, you know, I mean, just the whole, the whole situation. I was just, and, and they were eating. So you hear the clicking of the forks Mm. and the plates. And of course they're having their own Mm -hmm. little tabletop at Mm -hmm. some, you know, I mean, that's just going to happen. We have 400 people in the room and (laughs) you're there for, you know, 25 minutes, but that to me is makes me anxious. Yeah. Yeah. And I probably shouldn't have gone to see the room the night before because then I couldn't sleep all night. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Another, I guess, type of anxiety that I've sometimes feel is um, where we're trying to achieve such a huge, big goal um, with this presentation, this training. And I feel sometimes that it might not get there. That was actually going to be the one I was going to talk about because uh, that's What's your example that for goal, the goal based anxiety, uh, every single presentation I ever, do, every, <laughs> ever do. I mean, if you remember a couple episodes ago, I mentioned that um, one of the biggest mistakes I have is thinking that that. You know, I am responsible for everyone leaving here with every ounce of information they needed. And that is a really lofty goal. For example, I'll be sitting in there and I'll see, you know, the person who uh, starts nodding off during the presentation or, uh, man, I'm just like, oh, man, I'm really sucking at this. I'm not reaching the goal that I have of, you know, instilling something in this individual. Uh, And that will throw me off and I'll start stuttering or I'll, I'll have to just, there's moments I'm like brain fart y'all. It just, it's gone. I got, give me a second, <laughs> just give me a second and it will throw me off. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of anxiety. I think about that and the pressure I put on myself about making sure everyone walks out of that room with something. Yeah. That was a little bit of the, mm-hmm. the chancellor and the Dean mm-hmm. because our, our chan our vice chancellor had put us up for the, the, um, presentation and there was a specific outcome they were looking for us to achieve. And so I, it was I got a little, yeah, it was, it was very lofty. It, it was too much it was. for that large of an audience. Um, and for that amount of time. Correct. Hmm. So thinking through that, uh, what helped, you know, all of us kind of experienced different pieces of, of anxiety, or different kinds of speaker anxiety. What helped you? Well, (laughs) I kind of have my own little rituals Mm -hmm. almost every time that I um, go and get in front of an audience. I don't like to be bothered about 10 minutes before we're about to start. (laughs) Um, I hate it because I'm one of those that will get there at the room. I'll get it all set up, get the way just I want it. And I'll get there early so I have time to kind of relax a little bit right before uh, we go on. But oftentimes I will excuse myself. I'm out in the hallway or I'm outside and I'm pacing. 
Um, <laughs> and the other thing I'm doing is I'm rubbing my palms together. Like oh, I this. see that all the time. Is that what um, that is, doing? Yeah, because this it's a this when you rub your palms together, it's kind of a a body language that that says you know I'm expecting some good things to happen. Hmm. You know, and so it kind of puts me in that mood. Right. Um, other things I do is when I, I need to start breathing a little bit better. So mm -hmm. one of the things I'll do is I'll put my arms behind my back and walk because the simple act of putting your arms behind your back, it opens up your chest. It allows you to breathe a little bit deeper. And um, it is a sign, another body language sign of confidence, hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. you're kind of just put your hands behind your back. You're exposing the whole, the rest of your body to everybody. Um, I mean, if you think about Prince Charles and the confidence he has, or not King Charles, I guess now, um, every time you see him strolling, right? Hmm. Through, he's got his hands behind his back and he's strolling just very comfortably mm -hmm. and very confidently. But it's amazing how you're mind follows the body. So if you put yourself into those relaxing techniques, like your hands behind your back or rubbing your palms together, um, those, those, those are signals your body can give to your brain to say, oh, this is going to have good positive expectations, positive expectations. It's going to be a good session. Well, what do you do? What do I do? Uh, well, specifically related to the goal-based anxiety, I think uh, the night before I kind of have this mantra in the mirror um, and I'll just sit and look at myself and say, I I am enough. I will present enough. It will be enough. And I am enough. And That's the Stuart Smalley approach. <laughs> I <know. laughs> I just, I was, You're good enough. Stuart Smalley. Uh, oh, my goodness. It was a character. <laughs> That's a whole other episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, but that's and that was something I had to start doing. And I honestly, I didn't do it at first. I mean, I think I learned that uh, probably a year or so into this. Um, and then I after I do that, I go and I study uh, right before I go to bed every night and make sure that I'm comfortable with my content. Maybe I'll add a couple things in last minute, but that usually helps me in the moment. And I show up the next morning. I always give my time, same as you doing. I need that space. So people ask me, and I learned this from you too, Ray. There was times I'd ask you while I was shadowing, can I help you set up? No. And I'm like, okay. It is. It's ritualistic. It is. It is. Yeah. It is. So yeah, that's what helps me. Yeah. What about you? I also don't. Oh, go ahead. Yes. On all of those things. I think I use my beginning time a little differently than Dewey. However, I don't like people to help me set myself yeah. up because that like is that ritual part. But my energy as we've spoken about, I always have the same intro. Like I, mm. so I, because I know I'm going to be that nervous. Right. And so I don't want to have to think about what I'm going to say and my energy just flows. And then, then I can feel like, Oh, I got this. I'm it's my mojo's going now. Mm -hmm. You so got I the really, rhythm. Yeah. So I really, I always have the same intro. Yeah. Always have the same intro. That's a great idea. Great idea. Mm. I don't go to um, oftentimes, you know, really long training sessions. People invite me to lunch. I don't go to lunch with them. Mm -hmm. I usually make an excuse that, oh, I've got a phone call I need to make. I got to I got to do some work for another client on my lunch break. Um, but I don't want to feel like I have to be on during my off time, <laughs> mm. um, because frankly, I am more of an introvert personally than when I get on in front of an audience. Then I turn that an extrovert on. But I don't want to have to feel like I'm an extrovert at lunch and entertain other people at the same time. Yeah. So and, and I need that time for myself, you know, to say, yeah. get back to uh, get back to center. Well, in your voice. Yeah. I mean, if this is a third day in a row, mm -hmm. I mean, believe it or not, you know, even my voice can wear out. And so I'm with you. I, I remember one in particular, um, 
I went and hid out in the bathroom on breaks because they were just <laughs> inundating me and I never could get a break, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, early in my career, so now I set that expectation up, you know, when we can have a talk, but when I break, I need a break as well mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to take care of things. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with anxiety. <laughs> well, no, I think it, does. it really does. Yeah, because I think if, if we're more mindful or more at rest, then, you know, whether it's coming back from a break or whether it's coming back, you know, it's, it's going to reduce the level of anxiety coming back from anything. And so I thanks change. I will say that, you know, talking about my um, my practice and what it was like before I had my son and, and what it's like now, I don't get a lot of um, quiet time anymore. And so being very intentional as your situation changes, as your environment changes and where you're kind of heading into. Um, I actually like the drive now before I have to go somewhere. So mm-hmm. like going down to mm-hmm. Jeff City is perfect mm-hmm. because I get time to just clear my mind. Yeah. And so be thinking ahead and be fluid in maybe changing a ritual or a situation for you based off of what that's going, you know, what your life in general is going to dictate. And, you know, that anxiety also translates during a session. So we, you know, thinking about body language during a session, when you've got that type of uh, the the fight or flight response, Mm -hmm. right? All the cortisol, all the adrenaline that is flowing and, you know, it might cause you to sway. (laughs) <laughs> Ray, stop talking about me, Ray. You know, but we all, I, I know. I call it, you know, like the, the baby. I mean, you know, yeah. when you got baby in your arms, you just naturally start that swaying. You know? mm-hmm. um, I call it the vamping because that's what we used to call it in the 80s when we were on the dance floors. You got a vamp from one side to the next. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have never heard that. No. Oh, I'm dating myself no. here. Yeah. Yeah. It, I had because that was something we talked about, right? That was the very first thing when I the training you watched me on one of my very first ones. You put a table in front of me because I was swaying so much and I, I didn't even realize it. Right. That's the thing is you don't know that you're doing it. Of course not. I mean, it, and again, it's just it's it's the your body trying to release. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that energy inside. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, one of the things I do also, because when I first started out, I, this was a big problem for me, but I had to start emptying my pockets. Before mm-hmm. I would start because I'd mm-hmm. have change or keys in my pockets and I would just start jingling them. And so people would just like, is Santa Claus coming? I hear his sleigh somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, uh, I have played with the back of my PowerPoint clicker. Mm-hmm. So much like removing the battery slide so much that I lost it and that you know like (laughs) because I just back and forth and back and forth so I I don't know if you've noticed but it now has blue tape Uh I did notice it the last time we co-trained and did you get your new one yet I did thank you I'm gonna try to be better (laughs) let's talk about some of those quickly because we're actually running out of time on that but some other mannerisms to kind of avoid when we talk about body language in front of your audience you know we talked about the swaying the swaying baby we'll call it the swaying and baby. Uh, what are some other ones maybe that you ran into just based off of? Um, one thing I really hate uh, is that when I'm in a, 
when I'm a participant and I see the presenter traveling all around the yeah, room in, in between the tables, behind the tables, in front of the screen, behind the, I mean, they're, they're just trying to connect. I, from their point of view, I think they're just trying to connect, but I get whiplash, you know, trying to follow them all the way around the room, you know? Um, so I would encourage people to kind of stay, stay put, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that you become that that um that statue you know mm-hmm. that, that what i'm going to call a dying warrior you know where you're just going to command a, a very military stance and you're not going to move right you're kind of growing roots right there um mm-hmm. i think it's important that you look casual that you look comfortable um and that but that doesn't mean you can't move a little bit right, right. But mind your pacing, mm-hmm. you yep. know, because just as much as people don't like you walking behind them because mm-hmm. uh, your sound changes and then you're facing away sometimes, you know, so that to me is very distracting. But the walking, just the pacing back and in forth, front, like, yeah. you know, tennis match. Um, yeah, I usually often, you know, and this comes to that theater background I had, but this is about blocking your stage. And so I do like to move from one point. In the, but when it's when I'm making a point about mm-hmm. something, you know, I try to match that to the curriculum the the point i'm trying to get across mm-hmm. i'm trying to think through because you know there as you all are talking about this i'm reflecting on different sessions i've done and and to that point not only emphasizing something but um i'll like i'll move when i'm leaning into like the listening piece we talked about you know so like leaning into somebody or moving say you got a whole big room across and they're over here and you're over here i'll walk over to to see them or during introductions i will move in front of nearly every table that's giving an introduction so that you can kind of have that almost one-on-one eye contact full engagement here i am kind of perspective so uh, yes you know but think about how are you using it so some of these can be used as again just like we talked about with the visuals earlier um so supplements or things to enhance the learning environment. Yeah. And the other thing about body language too, is that you can actually use it also to control sometimes mm, good your point. audience. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, I've got that one person that just won't shut up. Right. And it's so, um, one, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just telling the story. So, I know. you know, I got that one person in your audience that just won't shut up. Right. They're constantly asking questions. They're constantly interrupting. They're constantly maybe taking the group down a, a different pathway than where you really want to take them. Um, and, you know, instead, of, you know, you could talk to them, I guess, at break and that kind of stuff. But sometimes I just get close to them and I'll go over and stand by them. I don't even look at them. I'm looking at the rest of the audience. I'm just kind of standing close to them. But it's amazing how they will shrivel and... It's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Because you're invading their personal space. Right. Now, at the same time, if I wanted to engage conversation, then I need to give a little space to that person, right? Mm -hmm. So I might move backwards a little bit and still keeping eye contact with them and then maybe keep eye contact with the other audience members as well then mm-hmm. um and and then you can kind of open it up and people feel more engaged to and inclined to communicate mm-hmm. yeah you know one of my pet peeves is you know i know we kind of call it the touchy feeler but you know the person that's constantly messing with their hair you know mm-hmm. their jewelry um their face in some way but i've also and of course this is probably my design background but if your outfit isn't conducive, you know, um, this one woman wore and ponchos were really in, you know, kind of the bat wing. But, you know, she used her arms and she put her arms out to her side and raised them up. And I'm like, every time I thought she was getting ready to take one. 
you know, and it was just like this, you know, and at one point though, she was so, um, I'm just going to say passionate mm-hmm. that her bracelet actually flung off. Oh wow. my goodness. Wow. Um, so she was an author and definitely a pretty good author, but she wasn't necessarily a good presenter. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of things that make our list of, you know, mannerisms to avoid that mm-hmm. she, but being mindful of what you have on mm-hmm. um, and how is it going to be to look at that for three hours or, you know, move around in it or whatever. Yeah. And so a lot of these concepts and all we could sit again hours on this particular topic. But when we think about that visual piece, we've talked a little bit about the the actual presentation, the slides. If you're going to do a slide deck, we've talked now a little bit about some of the body language mannerisms to avoid. Um, again, lots of more information out there. If you have a specific question on any of this and we're coming back next week with the part four, uh, but we're really going to be talking probably more about like the group dynamics and managing a room um, and some of this might still come back up there. But if you have questions or want us to emphasize on anything we talked about this episode, email us at mti at missouri.edu and we'll get back to you. Things that come up that we haven't touched on. Let us know that too. Final thoughts, team? You know, we talk about these because we're mindful of them, but I'll tell you when I'm tired, I see these slip in. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that's when I'm like, Ooh, I need, I need a break. Mm -hmm. Um, when I'm doing these things more and more. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I guess the other thing I would say is, um, practice, right? Practice, practice, practice. The more you do it, the better you get at it. So push yourself, get in front of audiences. If this is a skill that you really want to develop, um, I challenge you to get in front of as many audiences as you possibly can. Um, doesn't have to be long, right? 10 minutes at a yeah. time, maybe. Yeah. Um, but just get in front of people and start and, and, and practice. Yeah. And as much as I mentioned earlier, prepping yourself like for um, the actual beginning of your delivery, I think it's important to allow space and time for the after the afterwards and to make sure you're not going directly from something that's going to be rigorous with your energy level into something else that you are going to have to exert as much or if not more energy into later. Now, I only say that also being the mom of a now three year old. (laughs) So uh, just think through that. You know, what are some ways that you can take care of yourself in that space as well? With that, I want to thank you all for another great discussion on uh, the what did I call this series? The training prep talk. Oh, there it is the training prep talk thank you dewey we will be back again for part four next week tune in with that and until then go be great thanks for listening to the weekly workplace hosted by the missouri training institute dewey ray and brianna stand ready to connect with you and meet your training needs be sure to check out ways to contact them in the episode description or at mti.missouri.edu Subscribe to the podcast to get future episodes automatically by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. Hope to catch you on the next episode of The Weekly Workplace.